It is so good to see you. We thank you for being with us. I know some of you are new and you are so welcome in this place and we thank you for being here. For the last about six weeks, we've been reading through the crucifixion story of Jesus. We, we read about him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we read about his arrest, about his trial before the religious leaders and his trial before Pilate and his crucifixion, and now his death. And I want you to follow along as I read aloud from God's Word, John chapter 19 and verse 25. And listen to it like you're hearing it the first time. Some of you are, but for all of us to hear it anew. What does God want to say to me? What does God want to help me with in my life? Why am I here today? And what is God doing in my life? Listen to these words. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And he said to him, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his house. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, apparently by the soldiers. So they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink... Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs of the criminals broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of water and blood. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later still, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple, but secretly because of fear of the Jewish leaders. 
With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial practices. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no body had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. I love reading the Scripture. I love studying the Scripture. But in every passage of Scripture, I have questions. And sometimes I have a lot of questions. And I just want to share with you the day the questions that I have about this passage of Scripture and try to give some answers and hopefully some understanding. And at the end of this and the result of this, that you will be, that you will have the question of your life answered. When you open your heart to God and you receive Him into your life, because remember, This is not a traditional holiday. This is not simply a time when Christians get together and remember that something happened so long ago. No, it is the center of our faith and the center of our our following after Jesus. This is the heart of everything that we do. And without the cross, we have no faith. Without the cross... We have no reason to be here. Without the cross, we have no hope, no peace, no joy, no love. I couldn't help but think this week after the events of Monday, the the shooting at at a Christian school, of how we've been called to love one another, how we've been called to love deeply. The more angry the world becomes, the more apart from God it becomes, the more we're called to be people of faith and hope and love and to live out the love of Christ that is within us. Without the cross, I simply cannot imagine the world. It's hard enough as it is. But without the cross, I cannot imagine the world. So let me give you six questions. The first one is this. Who were the women? Well, there are four, I think, that are mentioned, although many people say there are only three women. And what they do is you have the mother of Jesus, who John does not name. You have his mother's sister, 
You have Mary, the wife of Clopas, who was later became a prominent disciple, and you have Mary Magdalene. But many people say that the, the sister of Mary and Mary, the wife of Clopas, were the same person, and there were only three. And as strange as it seems to you and me, there are those who think there were only three. And for that to happen, you've got to assume that, that somebody named one daughter Mary, if this were George Foreman's family, we would not have a problem with this, <laughs> and then named another daughter Mary. And for all kinds of reasons, I take it as four different women. Isn't it interesting, though, that three of them are named Mary? Here's what we know about the New Testament time of the people of Israel, that one out of about, one out of every four women were named Mary. They had a great affinity for it. So all of you Marys have a great and wonderful name. These women, what can we say about these women? They were women who loved Jesus. All four of the Gospels mention that. And I would really encourage you to go back to Matthew and, and start reading those last three chapters, 25, 26, 27, and then go on to 28 for the resurrection. And just read it and then move to Mark, a much shorter passage. Read about the crucifixion and then Luke and then John. And you start putting that together. It's interesting, Matthew, Mark, and John all named women who were there. Luke simply said there were many women at the crucifixion and that they were standing and watching from afar. You wonder, well, why couldn't they get everybody's name and why do why does Matthew name some and Mark name some and John name some and if you put them all together it's very likely to all, that all three mentioned the same women but we don't know that to be the case why didn't they know those things well some very simple answers the first one is simply the the way eyewitnesses work Four people looking at the same event would see different parts of it, and some would forget things that others saw. So it's just a natural thing that we all know about. We see this happening all the time, and people see things from a different point of view, sometimes physically different, but sometimes mentally different as well. But the other thing that we all need to remember is that nobody was standing around with a camera taking a picture of all this. And no one was standing around with a clipboard and a piece of paper making notes. And nobody thought about the importance of doing this at some time in the future. They weren't there to record things. They weren't there to think about the future they were thinking about the deep grief of the present. Almost everybody here has been through grief. And sometimes there are things that just explode in your mind and there are other things that you just go over your head and you have no idea what has happened. 
That's who these disciples were. And the other reason, as far as we know, John was the only disciple who was at the crucifixion. So he obviously saw things that the others didn't, and the others had to have other eyewitnesses. Most people think that Mark, who was probably a teenager when Jesus was crucified, used Mary Magdalene and maybe Salome and maybe Mary, the mother of Jesus, as eyewitnesses of what happened around the crucifixion. Even then, when you see differences, you think about it in this way. Luke says that that the women were viewing from afar. So what is a natural thing to do? If you have something like this happening and the, the, the crucifixion is taking place in front of you, a natural way you respond is to pull back. You don't want to be very close to that. And especially when they are Roman soldiers with weapons and you don't know how they're going to treat you. So it would be natural that as the crucifixion is going along, remember it's ours, that they would move closer to the front and would be there, right there. And it seems that these four women and many others were there. A second question is, who was the disciple? Because Jesus on the cross sees his mother probably having walked closer up. He sees his mother and he sees the disciple whom he loved standing by her or standing nearby. Now, let's go back to that first question. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the sister of Mary. And Mary, the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Mary Magdalene. There is a body of thought that says that the second person mentioned, the sister of of Mary was actually Salome, the wife of Zebedee, the the mother of James and John who were disciples, and that would make Jesus and James and John cousins. We know that there was a close bond between James and John and Jesus. Remember, Jesus had this nickname for those brothers, He called them Boanerges. That means the sons of thunder because it seems that they had, some of you would fit in this, volatile personalities. And so he called them the sons of thunder. Well, if you were going to do that, you would be a lot more likely to do that with somebody you were raised with, somebody you knew well, somebody you had known all of your life. We know that John was closer to Jesus than any of the other disciples. On the night of the Last Supper, he is reclining right next to Jesus. He asked Jesus in some kind of quiet way, remember 
there are 12, there are 13 of them, maybe more around a table. What happens when you're eating? Everybody is talking, all kinds of side conversations. John asked Jesus, who is that disciple who is to betray you? So there's this close association. And it seems that it is the author of the fourth gospel, who is anonymous, by the way, Early Christians, people who knew John, said John was the author. You move those generations along, and they have said that it was John who was the author. I accept that, and I believe that. There are other people who think that it was another disciple, maybe Lazarus. And they say Lazarus because, remember, they, the, the whoever the disciple was could get into the high priest's courtyard. And they wondered, would John be able to do that? But we know that both John and Peter had places to stay during this time in Jerusalem. So it's very possible that John was known by some of the people in the, in the entourage of the high priest. And it was to that disciple that Jesus said something very moving very wonderful, very loving. He said, woman, behold your son. Now, when we study John chapter 2 and the, the wedding in Cana of Galilee, remember Jesus talked to his mother in the same way. And for those, those of us who grew up in America and those of us particularly who grew up in the deep south, we would never call our mother woman, at least not two times. <laughs> but in that day, in their culture and their society, to call Mary woman was not derogatory, not disrespectful. That's something you and I struggle with, but not something that they struggled with. Woman, behold your son. But why didn't he say mother on either occasion? And particularly in this tender time when Mary is grieving for her son, could it be that it was an act of love for him to call her woman instead of calling her mother? Remember what Simeon had said to Mary when they presented the baby Jesus in the temple, and, and the sword will pierce your soul as well. No doubt looking forward to the time when Jesus would be crucified. Maybe it was an act of great love and devotion not to call her mother, but to call her woman. And maybe it was getting Mary to the time when she would see Jesus so differently, not as her son, but as her Lord, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as the one who would give his spirit to all of them, not just to her. It's an interesting thing. A, a great little thing to do is take a Bible dictionary and look up Mary, the mother of Jesus. And in one of those dictionaries, you'll find every verse of Scripture that 
is about Mary. Or you can go to over uh, the internet and find those kind of things. And then just read every verse. Here will be the shocking thing. The last verse that mentions Mary, the mother of Jesus, in all of the New Testament occurs about A.D. 30 or 31 or 32 where Mary is in the upper room with the disciples and where they are deciding who will be the next disciple. They taking the place of Judas and they are praying together. And from that point on, Mary is not mentioned. Maybe what Jesus was doing was getting her ready for this new relationship for her deeper, her fuller understanding that this is indeed the son of the living God and that his death, while a tragedy for everybody, for him, for her, was simply the beginning of a new relationship in which she would know him as Lord. So he said, woman, behold your son. And to the disciple who I call John, John, here is your mother. And if this were a cousin of Jesus, how much more natural. But but why did Jesus not prepare his mother or take care of his mother by going to his brothers? Remember, we had four. They're all named in the New Testament. Why didn't he go to them? He had... Sisters, we don't know how many sisters, none are named. We just know they're called his sisters. So obviously he had two or more. Why not one of them? Well, some very practical answers. Number one, as far as we know, none of them were there. A second answer would be, as far as we know, none of them were believers in Jesus. We're going to look next week. I preached from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I've, I've tried to encourage you all along the way. Invite your friends and your family. Let us make this a big celebration of the resurrection and let us let our friends and our family and our neighbors see us worshiping God and honoring him with our lives and let them hear the message of the fact of the resurrection. And we're going to look at that. Well, we know from that passage of scripture that James, the brother of Jesus, that Jesus appeared to him, and when he saw Jesus raised from the dead, he believed. So at that point, none of them were believers. But John was close. And there are times when we think of someone being closer than a brother. And that may have been exactly the way Jesus felt. A third question I have, what do these sayings from the cross mean? And maybe we would ask, why isn't there this whole body of material of what Jesus spoke from the cross? My view is that he only spoke seven sayings. And why would that make sense? By the way, no gospel has all seven. We get the seven by putting the four gospels together. The gospel of John has three. Woman, behold your son. I thirst. 
and it is finished. Luke adds the seventh of those sayings, which is, and at that point, Jesus cried out unto the Father, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. John doesn't record that. He simply says he, he gave up the spirit. He bowed his head and he gave up the spirit, an, an act of his own voluntary death. No one took the life of Jesus. He offered it voluntarily for you and for me and for the sins of the world. So what about those sayings and what was said? And why isn't there all of this? Well, number one, the person being crucified is going to find it almost impossible to speak. Simply the mechanics of the cross, of, of being in this position, and the loss of blood and, and, and bodily fluids would have made the person extremely dehydrated. Think about being on the cross for three hours. Think about having bled all night long. Think about the crown of thorns. Think about the hands. Think about the feet. Think about how much blood was lost. Anybody who talks about the crucifixion, and remember Jesus was not the only person crucified, but many people were, but thankfully, mercifully, it was a small time in history Although there are people who still are crucified by very, in very barbaric ways by anti-Christian people. But for the most part, a short window of time, a number of years where people were crucified, but everybody knew the results of that and extreme dehydration would be an issue. So Jesus said, I am thirsty. But remember, he had been offered something else, a drug, and he refused it. There are people who think that that kind Jewish women in Jerusalem had a ministry to people who were being crucified, and they tried to give them something that would help with the pain and hopefully even make them unconscious. So Jesus refused that because he wanted to be totally conscious. But he said, I thirst. And then the centurion, who when Jesus died said, surely this is the son of, was the son of God, the centurion treated him kindly and gave him sour wine to drink, and Jesus received it. And then Luke says that it appears to have made it possible for him to speak louder and to speak more and to yell out in a loud voice, it is finished. And what is finished? Not life, although that would be the case but his work of redemption, his purpose of coming into the world to seek and to save that which was lost, his purpose of coming to die for our sins, and not our sins only, John said in 1 John, but for the sins of the whole world. 
Jesus had finished his work of redemption. So what is the resurrection? The resurrection just opens our eyes. It just shows us what he had done and how he had given his life for the sins of the world. A fourth question is this. What about the blood and the water? You look at this passage of Scripture, it begins in, in, in four verses, and, and you see that taking place beginning about, about verse 31. And for four verses, he talks about the blood in the water. So why does he make such a big, big deal about this? It was the day of the preparation for the Sabbath. It was a special Sabbath, the Sabbath of the Passover feast. So they did, the chief leaders didn't want to leave the bodies on the cross, so they asked that the, the, the people being crucified would be killed by breaking the legs. What an awful thing to happen, to take a mallet or a piece of iron and break the legs that would throw them into shock. And most people would say it would cause instant death for anybody. And so they did that. But the, the two thieves were still alive, but Jesus had already died. He had said, into thy hands I commit my spirit. John says he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So they were ready to take the bodies down, but one soldier, maybe on his own in a whim, decided he'd take his spear, if he were right-handed, it would go through the left side of Jesus' heart, and, and so he pierced it, and there came the blood and the water, and everybody's tried to figure out what does it mean. John talks about it four verses here. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, he talks about it again. He said there are three witnesses. There's the spirit, there's the blood, and there's the water. Remember in Judaism, two witnesses were required to confirm something. Well, here are three witnesses John talks about, and he talks about it again. Why is this a big deal? Well, there are all kinds of views, but I want to give you the most simple one of all. John wanted to let everybody know that Jesus had really died and that there was no question about that. Because in John's day, the only disciple who was not martyred, John lived to a, a very old age, maybe lived, in, we know that he was alive in A.D. 95. We have eyewitnesses that talk about that of when uh, one of the Roman emperors was ruling. And by that time, there were heretical preachers going around, and this is what they were saying. They were saying that Jesus didn't seem, didn't, wasn't really a person. He just seemed to be a person. They said that the material was evil and of no consequence, so the human body would be that way. There are almost people who think that kind of heresy today. And they went around and they said, Jesus was not human. That the Christ came upon Jesus in his baptism and he left before the crucifixion. 
So John is dealing with all of that by doing what? He says, the one who is there, the one who is writing saw this, and I testify that this is the truth. So he wanted to emphasize that Jesus was truly human as well as being truly divine, that he was a real man who died a real death. In 1 John, John said this thing, those that we, he who we have seen and heard and touched, he said, and handled, this is the one that we are telling about. And he was giving the truth that Jesus was real and died for your sin and for my sin. So where was Jesus buried? In a tomb nearby, according to the, the customs of the, of the Hebrew people. They didn't embalm. They wrapped in cloths. They buried immediately, wrapped in cloths, putting, putting spices in between each layer. And that was done by Joseph and Nicodemus. Mary Magdalene was there. They saw these things happening. All of this was taking place in the burial customs of the Jews, no doubt with great tenderness and great love by people who saw Jesus as he really was, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, questions one through five, I still have questions about. But question six, I have no questions about. Question six is, what does all this mean? And the answer is found throughout the gospel that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins, to take our place because God wants us to be his own dear children. So he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. If you go back and read John chapter 1, you read these words. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. It's very obvious. He talks about Jesus being the Son of God, and God sent His Son into the world, but the world, He sent Him to His own people, but His own people would not receive Him. But then He says these powerful, instructive words, but as many as did receive Him, to them gave He power to become the children of God. God wants to call you son or daughter. And God wants you to call him father. And God wants you to be in his house. And God wants you to know him personally. 
by receiving Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. Like Mary, the mother of Jesus, had to do. Like we all have to do. To open your heart and to give it unto God. I pray that you will do that today. I pray that those of you who have done this in the past will have a renewed dedication. God, I want to please you. I want to live like you. I want my life to count for you. I want to make a difference in my world. We're going to have the invitation in just a moment. I call it a warm-hearted invitation. We invite you to come and talk with a pastor or pray here. Maybe you don't know exactly what you ought to do. That's why pastors are here, to help you and to guide you. And I pray you will do that. Let's stand together and let us pray unto the Lord. Lord, thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ. Thank you that we are not alone. Thank you that we don't have to live without help in this difficult world, but that we can call upon you and know that you love us and care for us. God, I pray now for people who are being drawn to you, that you will draw and lead them and they will surrender themselves unto you. God, thank you for your great love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come now as we sing.